Are you recording right now? A little bit. <laughs> oh, no. Now everyone knows my fears. <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to Maker and Creator, the podcast about creativity, culture, and inspiration, and how it affects us. My name is Jai Smith, and I'm joined by my co-host Alex Adams, also known as Ms. Darlinghurst. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so uh, today we're joined by not only my longtime friend, but also a, a maker of fine coffee and DJ monkey, Stephen Dyer. Uh, you may know Stephen from various coffee haunts around Sydney. Uh, or maybe even a late night session around Sydney before everything went shithouse, uh, or from a venture that is known as Clay Cups. Say hello, Steve. Hi there. I thought you were going to talk about my family. <laughs> <laughs> Let me talk about Steve's kids and when they were taken away from him the first time. <laughs> Destroyed my life. Yeah. <laughs> this is the story of Stephen Dyer. <laughs> You're allowed to laugh at This is not what I signed up to. This isn't the kind of interview we're going to be doing, right? Yeah, Surely not. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a really hard hitting journalism and we just never told you. It's an intervention on Steve's right. life. Uh, okay, first up, Steve, is this your first time on a podcast? It's my first podcast. Your first podcast. I have been on radio. Oh yeah? Once before. Who was that with? Uh two SCR, Small Business Awards, two thousand and ten, I forget. And you were the I winner of such a an award? Porn. No, I was just a pawn in the big game of, <laughs> of council PR. Really? Yeah. What did they, oh, so they asked you to come on they, like, they, with they, the dreams I was, of winning? I was nominated. I was told I had a great chance. And it was just a cynical exercise, you know, <laughs> of self-promotion for the council. Yeah. Uh, my arch nemesis won in the end. Mm-hmm. Is this an arch nemesis in the cafe scene? Or? Uh, her name's not like Pool Punches. Naji Chu. Miss Chu. Oh, oh, Miss Chu. Oh, we all remember <laughs> Miss Chu. <laughs> Just one of her many nemesis, I'm sure. Yeah. Is she still there? But no, no, she failed big time. <laughs> That's so hard. <laughs> uh, That'll show Na- you for winning the Nazi business. Bad luck. Yeah, I won. <laughs> no, no, I didn't win. <laughs> she just didn't win. I'll never all. admit to winning. So why is, and again, this kind of brings us to the first point and um, you've been involved with it for a long time, but why is coffee culture so big in Australia? You know, we, we're saying compared to other cities in the world, but, you know, when people talk about coffee anymore, the, the throwaway phrase is, you know, people used to talk about Italy, but now they're talking about Australia. Um, I've given this a lot of thought over the years. Uh, Australia has had this issue uh, for my whole life. I've been growing up. There was this big question mark over Australia and it was, what is Australia's culture? Australia yeah. doesn't have culture. Um, the Italians, uh, French, uh, the British, the Americans, they all have history on their side, had many years to establish something that's very uh, profound. Uh, and Australia has, has sort of uh, had such a short lifespan. Mm. We haven't adapted or evolved into anything. Um, and I think almost by accident, we've stumbled into this food coffee nexus that's sort of become world class. And in the last 20 to 30 years, it's probably to do with our great produce yeah. and our standard of living, which has allowed us to, you know, produce all these fine things. And the coffee culture has been this very accessible part of the market where people right. can, people can, you know, um, express themselves on a small scale rather than have to be great chefs or yeah. you know, um, great um, 
producers of of, uh, of fine produce. You know, it's 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 a small space, um, a, a re- relatively small fit out, um, and it's up to the person who um, is putting it all together to express themselves. Sure. Um, and I think that Australia is just. Um, taken the Greek and Italian coffee culture which is very strong and um, then it's been hybridized with the American service culture yeah and sort of spawned this next level um, that the rest of the world doesn't seem to have sure and talk us through kind of your journey through cafes and cult you know because you, you're owning you own Pusher Espresso now on Oxford Street at Paddington um, but talk talk us through what happened up to that point and and uh what inspires you to do this? Gosh, um, basically, it's a story of um, of laziness. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> essentially, uh, it's not it's not sort of the the uh, Gen Y, the millennial way, really, where it's sort of you've got to be driven and you've got to be successful um, early. I, I came from an earlier generation, <laughs> which was, um, you know, maybe um, evolved differently um, because, um, you know. Um, and this is this is really a bit of a we digress a little bit, but I, I was brought up in the era of the Cold War and yeah. <laughs> capitalism versus communism, and there was another way. Um, you know, the capitalism hadn't won and dominated the world so far, and and I don't know, like it, that, that's a really big um, <laughs> leap I just took there. <laughs> but I always, um, I, I don't know, I, I guess I, I I sort of didn't subscribe to the capitalist system. Yep. I, 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 um, I don't agree with it. Um, and I always said to myself, I don't want to participate in a system I don't believe in. And I, so I studied a little bit, didn't really work out cause I didn't know what I was doing. Um, had to pay the rent one day. So got a job in a kitchen as a kitchen hand and, um, and, uh, really loved it straight away. Um, it was awful money. But it did pay the bills. What did you love about it? Um, just the intensity, yeah. you know, the social side of it, um, uh, and also, I mean, and this is another thing that um, keeps me in this business is the human experience that you see every day. I mean, I've met hundreds of thousands of people um, that if I was not working in hospitality, I would not have met. I would be confined in my office role or my warehouse role or my factory role, um, and sort of. Uh, uh, tunnel vision yeah. down this this road whereas in in hospitality you are able to speak to doctors lawyers um you know homeless people some of my favorite people at pusher at the moment are homeless people i've got a quantum mechanic uh, astrophysicist who comes in every morning really? for free coffee and he's wow. amazing and totally homeless. <laughs> totally crazy and homeless but he he's a really cool dude um but you know and, and so i guess that's what um what initially got me into hospitality was that was paying the bills um, but then you fell in love with it, right? Because then I fell in love with it. Hospitality and, um, can be very much that <coughs> thing that people do when they first come out of university, and it's like it's what you do to tide you over. But then yeah. to keep that leap and keep going. And it got to a stage where I tried uni. Um, I still don't know what I want to do with my life at forty. Um, but then I didn't know. I got to a certain age, and I'm like, right, I have to do something with my life. I've got to consolidate. Uh, and, I, and I said, what can I do and what do I do well? And I'm like, I know how to do hospitality. I make really good coffee. Um, I'm going to roll the dice and start a cafe um, because I've seen through experience um, it over and over again. So I started um, Detour Espresso Bar, which I met both of you guys at, yeah, which is yeah. in uh, William Street in Darlinghurst. And it worked out really well. And it sort of spawned. Uh, it was an eight-year commitment. And... Um, really successful 
and um, sort of uh, I sold that about five years ago. Mm-hmm. Had a couple of years off just to you know, get my my uh, game back together again because <laughs> it it does um, does take it out of you. It's a very hard industry, yeah, um, physically and mentally and emotionally. What did you do with all your mornings after you sold a bit? <laughs> you know what? I got really fit. Yeah, <laughs> I went swimming. I had breakfast. I rode my bike everywhere. <laughs> I just, I just really devoted it all to me. I had a daughter as well, so that sort of <laughs> got to hang out with her a lot. Because yeah, what just, time were you waking up to get to detour? Um, yeah, look, it's always early start, so pre six, pre six a.m. So. Um, have you seen pre-six uh, other than coming oh, home wow. late at night? Yeah, I was yeah. about to say on the, on the way home, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's a paradigm shift, you know, compared yeah. to my old lifestyle. Um, but it, but there's a certain amount of romance that's involved with those early starts. You know, you're sort of getting the jump on the world. Yeah. It's only you and the garbage men up, essentially. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah, it, it was a, it's, that's where I am today as I kind of sold detour. And um, had a couple of years off and said, I'll roll the dice again. I know the formula. Yeah. Uh, I know what people want. Uh, and for me, it's just, um, it's a, it's almost a, a creative outlet for me. I, I actually enjoy the design um, element more than the actual day-to-day coffee now. Because you got um, quite into like consulting for other cafes in terms of structural design, interior mm, design and aesthetic, mm, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like I've, I've spoken to a number of people in the last few years about that. And um, just about flow, um, yeah. you know, the, the energy you create in a space. And I think that's what we'll probably cover later is how, you know, what, what makes cafes in Sydney and Melbourne and all of Australia so good is it's, it's basically it's interior design with a coffee machine in it. Uh, so <laughs> at the center. <laughs> at the center of it. Because it's certainly come, it's certainly come <laughs> a long way. I mean, yeah, coffee hasn't always been great. And I think also in terms of, the last 10 years, the food scene, the, the cafe scene has really, really changed in Australia. And um, for the better, whether you call it the master chef phenomenon or whatever, <laughs> whether people are just more educated about what they're putting in their bodies. I mean, what do you think has been the major change and shift in, um, in that scene? Mm, that's tough. Um, I do think, I think, I think this, the, the fact that coffee's been done now, like we, we've, right. we achieved such a great, We've received such a great level um, uh, with the production of coffee in Australia. Um, there had to be a point of difference. And I think that's where Sydney and Melbourne have become so great is that um, these little micro restaurants have popped up where coffee is the pretext. But then you've got these amazing chefs who are just producing you know, stuff that you know, most people 10, 15 years ago would have to go out to a fine dining restaurant to really? enjoy but you know, just just clever, yeah, ingenuity stuff. I mean, it's just it's so. not just a basic bacon and eggs anymore. There's you no, know some pretty fancy things, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, it can go too far as well. You yeah. know, like there's that you can go over the top with things. And too I, hipster, too hipster, <laughs> too just, fucking just, cool. You know, yeah. just, just too much going on as well. You know, I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, the way I've made my money is just because I want to give people good quality. But something they want to eat as well. You know, there's no point in putting something that's beautiful on the menu and has all these exotic ingredients in if no one wants to touch it. You know, because that might be 5% of the population who want to be challenged every day. But there's the rest of the population who just want their avo toast. You know, and they're like macadamia milk, (laughs) turmeric lattes. (laughs) (laughs) And that. (laughs) 
I <laughs> like still, them. It's still uh, pretty edgy. But I'll, <laughs> I'll try one as long as you order yeah. it. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. So you're too embarrassed. No, I am too embarrassed <laughs> yeah. to order it. Although, you feel really wanky ordering it. But you should never feel shame ordering something. I think in Sydney it's been done. And I think that macadamia milk turmeric latte is just the next thing, <laughs> you know? So My yeah. one bugbear is menus that I actually don't know what I'm ordering. There's a cafe yeah. there in, Surrey, in Redfern that I literally don't know what I was trying to order. It was a ham and cheese toasty or something. And I was just like, Ugh. Yeah, that can be a bit intimidating. And, and you don't <laughs> want to intimidate people either. Um, as I said, there is a large chunk of the population who haven't made that great leap forward like many foodies have in Sydney. So they just want to understand what's in their sandwich and it's going to be delicious. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> the best That's damn sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> so your other life... Um, when you were, I'm assuming, actually, I actually have never put time parameters around this, but your other life coming up, building your cafes was also as a DJ, right? Yeah, like I'd spent some time. I look, DJing's probably um, making it sound way cooler than it was. Like, basically, I was just having a really good time. <laughs> <laughs> and then I would jump up on stage and annoy the DJ. The, the, the DJing was kind of, um, I, I, look, I love music and it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's sort of almost fundamental to my life. Um, but look, I, I got really involved in the in the Sydney club scene um, from the late late nineteen uh, nineties to mid two thousands, um, just because I enjoyed the scene, the, the nightlife. Um, I think that um, it was a very good time in Sydney's um, you know clubbing landscape. And music's uh, always been like a big part of your cafes as well. Yeah, well, I've always it's it's one of those things I've always had good sound system with just nicely what I put what I believe nicely chosen music so that you know for me sitting in a cafe is not just the food at the coffee it's about having a moment you know yeah. and that's what I think that's why cafe culture is so strong in Sydney because we're all so busy we all have some, something to do somewhere to be but a cafe offers us this time where we can just be by ourselves and you know we can enjoy that coffee that it's the sights it's the sounds it's the smells that, that, that sort of uh, you know make that moment so important, and they actually say there's been scientific studies done that caffeine is actually an amplification drug, so that what you're I have feeling, <laughs> what, <laughs> you're, what you're feeling at that time of, of your coffee is actually amplified to so a sense of relaxedness or joy oh, really? or yeah, anything like that. Relaxness so. after three coffees. That's but, bad uh, grammar, but yeah. yes, <laughs> But do you find that perhaps cafe culture has become so much more popular because the nightlife in well in Sydney at least, mm. like the nightlife has gone down, so people are mm. they've got more disposable income because they're not smashing vodka Red Bulls at three a.m. at clubs because there's nowhere to go, so they're spending twenty one dollars on avocado on toast. <laughs> like, do you think yeah. there's been a, a shift here? I would love to say no because I think that's really sad. <laughs> I think you're it, lying. I think <laughs> I, I think that's yeah. what's happening here. Or well, maybe everyone's just got married and had kids, and everyone's really lame now um okay uh, but come on what about there's still young people yeah i know there are <laughs> i mean we're I've old i've seen them i know, seen them. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah it's complicated because i reckon young people are just really clever and they've um gone around this whole um legality side of of the shutdown of sydney and they're doing their own things on the side like house parties warehouse parties i think that um during the 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 sydney lockout um it sort of crushed the Sydney, the mainstream Sydney club scene. But what I did see um, vicariously, unfortunately, because I'm too old now, is <laughs> a lot of really cool, clever offshoots coming up. So people were 
heading out into the burbs or yeah. you know a lot of the the um, young kids who were, had taken up the turntables were having house parties it's places like um, there's a club night called Sash um, and they yeah. do a everyone's been thing. mentioning that to me at the and, and they they really grabbed it and ran with it and made something out of it they, they, there was a niche so um, look I don't know maybe, maybe people have got more responsible because they are going to bed earlier <laughs> hey it's good for you right like more people mind. drinking coffees in the morning than <laughs> it's true out that's at true. night so um, uh, and as you know like i've just come back from you know six years overseas what happened to the night scene for those people who you know aren't living in Sydney? oh it was obliterated it was oh, pretty much overnight um right. for for many reasons mainly to do with money and, and big business um you know the I mean, I think for people who are overseas and, and don't know the story, there was um, a couple of incidents where young young kids were, were assaulted in in some in a Sydney hotspot for the night nightlife scene. Um, it actually you know took a uh, private school boy to be hit in the back of the head, um, and he died um, for any kind of real action to happen, um, which is a bit cynical. But I do think that there was some some influence behind that decision. But also what happens is they say never waste a good crisis. And I think that there were people in power who had their eyes on the King's Cross precinct, which is a highly sought after part of the property market. Um, And they just wanted to force all these nightclubs out. And I think that they just took the opportunity to do that. But it basically the lockout laws decimated city's nightlife scene, shut down people who were legitimate operators. It was like like someone coming in um, to Sydney and saying... Um, you know, a 70-year-old man died after having three coffees at Pusher Espresso Bar on Oxford Street. We need to sort something out. This, this can't happen again. Yeah. And then saying we, we're shutting down Sydney cafes simply because there might be a risk. You know, yeah. it's just, it, it was disproportionate um, to, to the actual problem. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely not great for a lot of operators mm. and also for a lot of um, you know, people looking for nightlife, but there's always a silver lining. I mean, what do you think? Has, have there been any positives that have come out of the lockouts that you think? Yes. Um, I think that the, from from a business owner's point of view, the streets are a much cleaner place. Um, it's uh, less, less aggressive um, in the evening times. I think there has been a, a decline in, um, in alcohol-related violence. Um, but yeah, I, I can't from a business point of view, no, but from an aesthetic point of view and um, a social point of view, it's actually a bit more pleasant, which I hate to say because I actually enjoy nightclubs. I know, but so. is it just that, you know, we were fortunate to sort of have the heyday and now we're older mm. and we want to yeah, stay at yeah. home and have dinner parties and, and yeah. eat expensive breakfast in the morning. Maybe yeah. it's fine for us to say, but, mm. you know, I talked to some younger people um, that I work with in their early 20s and, and they just don't even know any difference. So I guess... What do they do? Um, <laughs> Is that really bad? I feel like they're a lot more intelligent than we probably were. I feel like they're not killing their brains with, um, you know, excessive alcohol consumption. I don't know what you that. mean, Alex. Um, you know what I mean. So they're you probably fun- they're probably gonna you know lead yeah. the country in better way than we are. I don't know. I think they're pretty lame, to be honest with you. Like I honestly do. I think kids these days, like I, I employ a lot of young people, and hopefully they never listen to this podcast. Your yeah, boss thinks you're lame. Yeah. Yeah. Totally lame. Totally Go lame. These, kid, late for these work, kids man. have no stories, you know. There's, oh, <laughs> there's, God. There's, stories. No, there's no, um, no spice in their lives, you know. 
they're all in bed by you know midnight and you know up eating their avocado toast at $21 on a Saturday morning, you know? I really can't believe the price of avocado and toast. The first place I had avocado toast was a push uh, detour, by the way. Really? Wow. Do you think yeah. Do you think any of this is going to change? Or if so, like, what are the Im- imminent changes, whether to light night or cafe culture? Oh, gosh. Um, I would like to think that we'd revert back to um, some sort of uh, responsibility on the individual's part, because that's what's happened, is they've taken what should have been someone someone's decision and personal responsibility to behave themselves and act normally within a civil setting and, and saying, right, we can't trust any of you are shutting everything down, which is almost insulting to us as a, as a, as a population, yeah. you know, because, um, but, but in saying that, um, you know, it, it does appear that the majority of Sydney siders and Australians can't handle their drink. And it, I really think that. It is different. I mean, when you, you know? go traveling overseas, yeah. I mean, we yeah. do have a really big drinking culture here in <laughs> Australia and, you know, that rowdy larrikin versus, um, you know, sophisticated drinking in the streets of Paris. Yeah, or, that's right. You know, yeah. just having an aperitif and, you know, going home. Having, yeah. w- having <laughs> one? <laughs> just one aperitif? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I need 20 Aperol <laughs> Spritz. <laughs> when, again, I was speaking about this this morning on, on a different podcast, but the aggressiveness of Australians overseas, you can spot it a mile away. Like there was never a fight in Hong Kong. And if there was, it was two <laughs> Australian tourists or, you know, and you, you could just hear them arcing up and getting ready, yeah. you know, because, because we can't. And in, in Hong Kong, you could never get kicked out of a bar. There's no fights and mm. you would get away with anything. You can drink in any street that you can buy a beer in 7-Eleven and everyone's fine. But everyone's fine because, yeah, sometimes we do take it. What do you put that down to? Can I ask you a question? Yeah, of course. (laughs) I love being asked questions. Um, There is, well, everyone, there's a theory that everyone who moves to Hong Kong as an expat is generally a white collar worker who's been there on a transfer. So you have missed your larrikin stage, apparently. It's gotten out of you. Mm. That didn't get out of me. Um, but that's that's the theory on the expat side. The Chinese culture side is that it's just not a physical violence kind of place, and even in you know even in the boardroom, it's a totally different kind of atmosphere. Mm. It's not aggressive. It's not male dominated. It's it's sometimes it is male dominated, but it's not an aggressive culture. It's we'll make decisions out of the room. We don't have to make it there in the room to seem like the smartest person in that room. Not based, based on ego. Yeah, there there is no ego, and and mm. it's it's very carefully monitored where you belong now. The flip side of that is you suddenly get a very subservient kind of hierarchical uh, work environment and and that's a reflection of like the cultural environment. But I think that does temper a lot of that mm. because it is, it's an insane city. Someone described it once to me as Disneyland for adults. Mm. Mm. Do you think Australians are just jerks? Sometimes. <laughs> Sorry to say. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, you know, do we, do we just sort of, do we have this entitled perception where we just think we... You know, well, we can do what we want. One of the things, and I don't know, like you jump in, Alex, if, if you've seen different or seen the same thing, but everyone I meet is, is believes that there are, they, they're entitled to bigger things, that they're a special snowflake, there's something really special about them. And we're seeing this in how everyone needs to go to uni, needs to get a degree, and then they realise that there are lots of other people out there who can do the same thing. So therefore, they don't get the job they want, they feel disempowered, and they feel like they're entitled to something more. Mm-hmm. But the big skill shortage is still around engineers, it's still around web design, believe it or not, nurses and kind of those kind of careers. And those things you can go to any kind of vocational training center for. But because Australia is like, oh, if you went to TAFE, then, you know, you're second class and oh, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and I didn't go to university. Like I, you know, just buggered it off. And 
there was such a stigma around that mm. um, because it seems like, oh, you only go to TAFE if you want to be a builder and there's something wrong with that. Yeah. Even though those guys are making all the money now, yeah. have, yeah, an excep- right. have an exceptional understanding of design and architecture mm. and, you know, just might have to wear a high-vis shirt every day. Yeah. So I think that's the kind of culture that we're trying to, like, break down at the moment that there are lots of other forms of value but if they're not the ones that have been you know the privileged kind of established colonial version. yeah well it's yeah. colonialism like when you were mm. saying before around we have a short history we have a very short white history mm. yes yeah but I think as a generational thing, I don't think that our parents would, um, you know, have the same. But, you know, Gen Agreed. Y, like we were taught, you can do anything. You can be anything. Yeah. I honestly believe mm. I could do anything. Yeah. And um, You've and done I, pretty well. I, <laughs> you right? did anything, yeah. Alex. <laughs> well, that's because that's because my parents told me I can do anything. I could quit my job and run a secret dining business and make money. Of course I can do that, you know. I believed I could do anything I could. So... Uh, you know, but there's definitely our generation that got told we can do anything and therefore we will go out there and we will try and achieve that. Mm. And I think that's amazing in so many ways because it really drives us and it pushes us for the next generation. I mean, Steve, you've got two kids. Like, what do you think it's going to be like for them? Are you going to yes. be saying you can yeah. do anything or are you going to be like, you can do anything, oh, but, boy. you know, maybe don't, you do have some limitations. That's <laughs> complicated. Son, don't overshoot. You yeah. Yeah, don't aim too high. Well, I've seen you try and eat your cereal <laughs> yeah. in the morning and, yeah. you know. You, you barely you, get it in your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> look, look at your appearance. <laughs> <laughs> More of a realist? Yeah. Uh, Dress for the job you want, son. Yeah. But I think, I, I think it's, you know, it's been in the media. I don't think that um, the jobs today will exist tomorrow. I think that my kids will no. have jobs that haven't even been invented yet, you know. By- Did you watch that video the other day, the scary um, clip of uh, Google and they yeah. um, they the called assistant. up, a, yeah, the Google assistant and made a hair appointment. I mean, that freaked me out. I couldn't stop thinking about the movie Her and I thought, when are we going to start falling in love with our AI? You know, that's just well, around the corner. Yeah, there's, um, there was a documentary on Vice the other day about that, about robots Robot sex toys, essentially. Yeah. So all you got to do I is was googling. Yeah, yeah. it was on. You know, like. it just came up. It came <laughs> up in my just feet. Came I up. <laughs> really interesting. Um, but all you, all, all it requires uh, is a synergy there, and bang, you've got that movie. So, um, well, I would, and this is totally unfounded. I think we're already there. Like, I definitely think that there is enough AI out there. And you're enough. in love with your AI. Is that yeah, it? You're look, already okay, there. Okay, this is my AI coming out. Like, uh, <laughs> Um, no, I, I definitely think we're already there. But the fact that you guys are able to um, propagate your careers on platforms that didn't exist when you were kids, but you've adopted them to establish yourselves, that there'll be new platforms coming up. And, uh, you know, like you guys um, and every kid growing up now are digital natives. And so mm. they'll just incorporate themselves into the next system. But But to that point, like I think for me and Alex, it was like, it was new. No one did it. So we were first. Mm. But I think the problem with the true, like, because, yeah, the digital migrant versus the digital native discussion is like, if everyone's a digital native, then it flattens the playing field again. Whereas, you know, certainly for Alex, her like unfair advantage was that she got there first, understood the platform and went for it. Whereas mm. now everyone's Snapchatting by the time they're 13, they're already <laughs> content creating. And most of it's going to be garbage, but also there's going to be a lot of good shit out there. Mm. So therefore, what's going to be your point of difference in, you know, when you're 21, 22? Do you think that with so much of, you know, this digital landscape that maybe we're reverting, the, the future is that we revert back to those, um, you know, colonial skills or those using our hands. And that brings us to this the point. This is a segue. Yeah, this yeah is, good it's, segue. It's a segue because... 
I am so curious about these clay cups that you make. And uh, did you even bring one? Or Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I knew that. I, I didn't bring one. I oh, should have brought one as a gratuity. Oh, I really want to see. My fault. Could, could just My explain fault. to everyone what these clay keep cups are. And I was hoping no, that I looked keep. at them. <laughs> They're not keep cup. You don't get to keep them? Well, ke- well keep cup is, is very clever because they've actually Oh, it's actually a brand. Oh, we, don't, a brand. we can't call so it It could keep. be an infringement. Oh, oh. But they're so they good at what up. they were the forerunners. <laughs> Ten second delay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they were the forerunners and they should be congratulated on doing that. Like they were years ahead of the game. And so Keep Cup, um, when I owned um, Detour, I was like, that's a really good concept. I had no idea about the amount of waste we were producing. Um, but I had some and, and they've managed to become a global empire based on some sort of... Um, environmental philosophy and what i've done is um i uh, have a business partner called Catherine mahoney who's one of like the best potters in australia and she made all my ceramics for butcher because we wanted something that was a hook something a bit more a bit different um and she came to me one day after we had a cup of tea um out of our lovely handmade ceramics and said wouldn't it be lovely to do a reusable coffee cup made of clay and i'm like that would be cool but i had no idea what 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 it would entail uh, on the mechanics of it um, and about three or four months later she came to the cafe and with this prototype clay cup and I was like that's really cool and so we we bought some lids from China and we played around with the fit and um, we um, just stumbled onto this you know, successful product that people just desired and it was um, because what we what we set out to do was to try to eliminate plastic I'm a bit of an environmentalist and I have been for years. It's part of my socialist roots, mm-hmm. blah, 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 as described earlier. <laughs> um, See, item but, one. <laughs> but, but we are using too much plastic. I think we've reached peak plastic. And, and plastic never <clears throat> leaves the earth. No. I've watched it, a documentary recently mm, and like it, it never leaves. So every bit of plastic mm. that is on the earth right now is never going to leave. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, you, you eat fish from the ocean now and you're going to have microplastics yeah. in your system. Uh, and that's a terrifying thought. And um, so I thought um, we need to um, involve ourselves with a, a product that um, is going to um, allow people to have an alternative. And so Catherine made up these um, cups. We started workshopping them at the shop. I'd hand them out to people or sell them to people, get feedback on them until we've come up with this um, final um, archetype that we're now molding and producing uh, in Victoria. Uh, it's still handmade, but in a larger setting because um, my poor business partner was going to go mad. <laughs> lots, lots of hands. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it's, it's basically a reusable coffee cup. Uh, no plastics involved, silicon lid um, made in Australia and um, doesn't have that residual plastic, which is going to destroy yeah. our planet eventually. And it's already choking the planet. And they look fucking amazing. Yeah, they I saw them cool. online. They look great. I have some questions around them though, mm. some practicality questions. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> question <laughs> one is like I've bought cups like that before and I buy it and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be a good pu- good person and I'm going to bring my cup all the time and then I forget my cup so then mm. the next time I go I buy another cup. Are there any tips on how you can mm. not forget your cup? You need to have more cups. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, what's, that's what ends up happening. I end up with like yeah. a cupboard full of cups because I keep forgetting them and I don't want to be yeah. a bad person and use plastic. Look, and- I, think, I think what it comes down to is you need to be ready to do this. It's like quitting smoking or alcohol. Like or in you, a routine maybe. You, you want to, you, you need to want to do it. And, and you know, I, I don't look down my nose at anyone who's not ready to make that jump. 
um, because it's a routine-based thing and we just have busy lives and sometimes you just don't remember your coffee cup. But since I started this business, I have not used a reusable coffee cup um, apart from selling them. <laughs> but but I, haven't, I haven't used personally a, um, a single-use coffee cup, I should say, um, for a year and a half. And I just will not do it. It's changed my behavior completely. And it's about changing your behavior. It's about becoming conscious of that usage. And and you're not a bad person for using a, <laughs> a single-use coffee cup. I was sitting here feeling so bad because <laughs> you've given me three. And like I like all of them, but they sit on my shelf. And I'm like, oh, yeah. don't they look good? You know, and, and, but it comes down to You've got to want to want to do this, Jai. You've got to be at a point. You know, like I'm not, I'm not some preacher, but, but you gotta, you got to get there by yourself. You know, like you can't sort of, you know, if, it's like quitting smoking if you ever smoked. Like you, if you just, if, if you want to quit smoking, but you're not really serious, you're not going to quit smoking. Well, maybe it's I mean? more of a habit and maybe it is having multiple because mm. I have recently, I bought those metal straws yeah, and I bought cool. like a pack of eight yeah. and now I've got one in every handbag and I'm like the nerd who, I know, I know. I'm the nerd at the bar when they make me a drink, I'll be like, hold the straw. And then I whip out my, you know, silver metal straw awesome. at the bar. And the first time I was like, oh, this is a little bit embarrassing. I'm a bit of a dork. But now I'm like, no, like stand by your principles. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really cool because what you're doing, it is just a metal straw. You're affecting change, you know, like. You are, and, and I think what you've got to do is focus on what you're doing. You know, if you, if you replicate that experience six billion times over the planet, there'll be no straws. Do you know what I mean? So, exactly. And if someone I, other I than my mother listens ideal. to this podcast, they might be inspired about the metal straws <laughs> and they might do it as well. <laughs> We've got a lot of media behind this. We'll, we'll make sure someone listens. But I actually love the no straw thing that's coming into Sydney. I think mm. that... And obviously, you can't have a no cup cafe. So that would well, be really. I'm going to do that next. I'm, I'm Whoa. <laughs> I don't know if it's a good business model. I don't but know if it is either. Can, can I just say F you to paper cups? Like, yeah. I'm just going to do it and I'll, I'll have to find a low rent place with no staff. <laughs> and but, I'll, I'll have to pull my but, shares but out. I, on, I honestly think that there is so much change happening environmentally and the awareness in. And I think that's. Yeah. We were talking about um, the cafe scene, and this is, if we can go serious for a second. Is it a Sydney cafes, Melbourne cafes are doing a lot to try to change the behavior yeah. of consumers. And I think that's yeah. really commendable. Um, and that's, and, and it doesn't matter whether you're using a clay cup or a keep cup or a Frank green cup. The fact that, you know, I've seen like a, you know, a huge spike in usage in the last year since the ABC's war on waste happened just shows a huge awareness yeah. mm-hmm. and all, all this change, although it's in a micro level and, and, and in a, um, very closed environment um is gonna do something you know like it's but this is a great thing like coming right back to what you said at the start and it just occurred to me the detour um logo with the very (laughs) socialist viva barista uh but it is the power of many people doing many people doing many small things that affect a much bigger change and you know what's cool about sydney and melbourne and the australian coffee scene is it's a movement yeah that's what it is you know like i think that's what's cool about it is it's 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 a, a whole lot of self-expression going on, and I think that's what draws people to coffee. Is that it's it's um it's a movement, and it's something that's authentic. Yeah. In a world where there is no authenticity, yeah. you know. So. Well, in a world where there's so much social media, like we were well, talking about, <laughs> you know, anyway. it's, it's social media. But trying to, and that's the beauty of, but that's what's so uh, tough with social media is trying to purvey or impart that authenticity because mm. there's so much of it 
how do you um, trawl through the bullshit to get to the real stuff? But can that bullshit also work to your advantage as a business owner? Because I know me personally, if I'm in a new place, like I was in Newcastle um, towards the end of last year and I I just Instagrammed Newcastle cafes and then I just looked on Instagram at the food that I thought actually looked good and then I mm-hmm. went to that cafe as a result. So mm. in that sense, it's you know working really well for business owners. Yeah. When, uh, I, when I say bullshit, I don't, I'm not derogatory to the platform. It's more just... Um, there, there, there are some. There, I think it's a really good platform and really good medium for for information um, transfer, um, but it's wading through all the stuff to get to. Yeah. As mm-hmm. you said, if you you know what you want, you know what to look for. Yeah, um, wading through the noise. <laughs> yeah, but, right. but 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 also and not to give the dumb advertising point, but I <laughs> but I will. But are you allowed to talk about the mission statement for Clay Cups? Because which is my favorite. <laughs> We could talk about mission statements, yeah. Because I think what you're talking about, which is the, the, the reason some brands are doing so well at the moment, it, I always come back to the idea of thank you being able to release a new bottle of water. If you can release a new bottle of water in 2017 or 16, whenever they did it, that's insane. Mm. And they did it because they had a much bigger purpose behind it. And what was the way you put it to me? You put it like a vessel for the future. It's a vessel for change. Vessel for change. <laughs> that was it. And yeah. I don't know, like, and obviously being a big ad nerd, that to me doesn't stop you at doing that one thing. It's no. like it actually allows you to do a lot more. And I think to your point, Alex, that's where it becomes, social media becomes the biggest mouthpiece for that because there is a real purpose behind it. Well, you've got authenticity in that yeah, case, exactly. Right? So... That's when social media does And this is, what's, this is what's happened with us. And, and, and look, I mean, and you guys are both in social media and I use the term bullshit and I take it back. <laughs> no, no, no. There is a lot of no, bullshit. No, no. Lot of there time. is a lot of bullshit. We, we but, know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bullshit a bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> but we, um, we, we just um, put a few things on Instagram, a little bit on Facebook, and, and this product just took off. You know, we... We just did it out of curiosity and we, we had something that we thought we'd share with people and we quite literally had to shut down Instagram, our Instagram account. Really? We, we, we just had to stop doing stuff. Really? That's and, huge. And because, because people were um, DMing us um, uh, just about getting our product and we just could not provide to, really? for the demand. And, and so it's so powerful. You know, yeah. like, and, and what we were what we were doing was providing something that had a purpose. And I think, you know, the, the people who loved it were the the yogis, uh, the environmentalists, you know, people who who believed, you know, um, in, in some sort of change. Yeah. And, and even you. now, like we put it, we put a, a I put one up in the last five months, <laughs> one picture up in the last five On months. On the 31st of March, you put a video. <laughs> oh, I, oh, I just I did started that. following that you. That was a huge mistake. <laughs> <laughs> we still didn't, yeah. still didn't have cups, but we just had to be so measured because, um, you know, it, 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 the demand is just so incredible. Well, look, thanks so much uh, for spending time with us. Where can people find you? Clay Cups is uh, claycups.com.au. Uh, Instagram and Facebook eventually once we've got product and <laughs> we start going again. Thanks so much for everyone spending a little bit of time with us. You can find Maker and Creator. This is literally episode one. By the way, Stephen. Uh, so you can find us on Facebook. If you send us something on Twitter, we'll respond. But if you need to find Miss Alex Adams, you can find her at, at Ms. Darlinghurst on Instagram. You can follow Secret Foodies on Facebook. Uh, and if you need to get in contact with me or this kind of stuff, it's at Double Star Co on Instagram or Twitter. So thank you so much and uh, Thanks, good luck. Thank you. Guys.